Today on the podcast, we have Harkin Industrial, and I'm quite excited about this, just with the things that are going on with Harkin Industrial in the market space and in the rescue world right now. I feel really honored to have both Matt and Sean on here from Harkin. And before I talk too much about them, I'll kind of let them introduce themselves. And let's start with you, Sean, a little introduction. Uh, sure, yeah, thanks Thanks for having us, Mark. Um, I'm Sean Kogan, uh, Director of Harkin Industrial. And um, yeah, happy to be here today. Awesome, well, let's not leave them totally hanging. How long have, uh, how long have you been doing this? And what do you, you know, what's your background a little bit? Oh boy. Um, I've been with Harkin about 10 years now and came on as, as kind of the first dedicated hire to be customer facing with the Harkin industrial business um, officially back in 2012. Um, have a background in rope access and search and rescue. And we wanted, we wanted to launch a one product at the time back when we started. Um, so there's been quite a progression since then, but, um, yeah, I, I've just really been along for the ride and, and kind of made it a big part of my life to wave the Harkin flag anywhere I can. And, and that's obviously how you and I met and how we've worked together and trained together since. So, um, it's kind of been a whirlwind. Yeah, I can bet. And, uh, I know just from the beginnings back, like you say, 10 years ago, it's, it's grown in leaps and bounds. So you must've just kind of buckled up for the ride. Sometimes you have to, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and Matt, you, what's, uh, what's your background? Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Matt Malik. I'm the CEO of, of Harkin Inc. Um, I work with Sean really closely in the, the Harkin industrial guys on, on that division of our business. I've been uh, with Harkin uh, since 99. So I've seen it go through, you know, a number of changes as we've grown over the years, uh, including, you know, really diversifying our business from, you know, almost an entire marine based hardware supplier to um, the Harkin industrial business, which is, you know, grown into the rope access rescue, you know, mountaineering side. So we're growing fast and uh, yeah, like Sean said, it's, it's been a good ride so far and I, I think we're on a good trajectory. So I just, let, let me ask a little bit is, did you have a background in the, the rescue field much before this or is this fairly new? No, it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's a, it's a hundred percent new and really, you know, my job in this whole thing, Mark, is just to, to get guys like Sean and, and Tom Wood on our team and, and, and Joe and all the other guys that work for us um, and put those guys in the right position to succeed. You know, I really rely heavily on, on these guys and especially Sean on to help develop the strategy for Harkin Industrial. And really my main job is to try to give them the tools and resources and maybe a little bit of guidance on the business side along the way. Um, to, to help them succeed and grow the business. So I, I just try to, you know, put them in a good spot and then just get out of their way. If you know what I mean? Well, no, that's exciting. And I think uh, you guys, you two are doing a really good job at that. Um, like I said, Sean and I met probably 10 years ago 
and there was some power seats and uh, some winches. And now Harkins pretty much got a lot of the, you know, the top end equipment in the industry that people are vying for. So it's uh, it's a short time period and quite a impression and splash that you've made in the industry. Yeah, I mean, Mark, we're really, really fortunate to have the backing of a 50 year old business that provides us, you know, some resources, some financial stability, some ability to take some risks, um, you know, in making new products, you know, that the whole business has been really patient as we develop some of these innovative solutions. Um, and so that that's really helps us propel forward, you know, quickly but also come to market with the right products. Um, we definitely had a, a strategy to, to attack these markets. Uh, we didn't always know exactly where we would zero in on. You know, we started out with, um, you know, maybe a little bit too of a shotgun approach to all these different opportunities we have. But then as we got a little bit more focused, I think that's kind of what you're seeing now in, in some of the equipment that we're coming out with, filling out our catalog, some of the acquisitions that we've done over the past five years um, is really, you know, we have real focused approach about where we want to go. Right on. And we'll talk about the acquisitions in just a sec, but what were the first products that came to market 10 years ago? Like the first pieces of Harkin industrial, like what's kind of the history there? Yeah, maybe I could jump in on the history and Sean can kind of take us through the, the some of the products not up to now, but Um, You know, the history really of Harkin Industrial was born out of the marine side, whereas, you know, people in different industries were finding uses for our products. And our our niche has always been, you know, lightweight, low friction, high strength products, whether it's the pulleys or the winches, you know, the trolleys, whatever it is. And people were always finding applications for this stuff in different industries. One of the bigger ones early on was Cirque du Soleil was using our blocks way back when, you know, for some of their training centers. And, you know, along the way, that business kind of organically just grew. And uh, we had one guy kind of monitoring it, not really, you know, pushing it too much, just taking care of that customer base. And uh, I don't know if, you know, anything about the Marine side, but it's a really cyclical business. And, um, you know, on the sailboat side, which is where it's mostly focused, it's not necessarily growing exponentially. It's growing, but it's not growing at the pace, you know, that we might like. So when we took a look at that business and said, wow, that's really got some traction. Um, what can we do with this? And, and really what we figured out is we needed to go out and hire a guy like Sean to help guide us uh, in terms of a little bit more focused approach to the products and what the market needed and where it was and the expertise and really being able to be out on the street and, you know, you know, talking to talk and walking the walk is, as you say, you know, because we, we couldn't do that from where we were coming from. So we needed to hire the good people to do that. Okay. Sean, the original products from Harkin Industrial. So as Matt said, the, um, there were some usage, there were some uses being conducted, excuse me, um, outside of, of the typical Marine channels that I think in all honesty kind of took Harkin by surprise a little bit where, uh, you know, we started reaching out more and more and asking more questions of how this stuff fits in, in a realm outside of, you know, a sailing application 
So the, we kind of made a one giant leap to start um, where our Italian plant has traditionally been focused on the production of winches uh, with capstan winches and self-tailing winches and um, real winches, electric, hydraulic, manual. Um, and we came, starting off from the blocks, we came in with a power descender device called the power seat, which, which you've seen over the years. And it was a it was a great place to start because we were we were able to make our mark as some, doing something completely different than what the market may have been ready for at the time. Um, but it gave us it gave us a really unique approach to it, where we almost started at a place where now, to be quite honest, the power seat isn't nearly the sales focus it used to be. Um, because we've learned so much more about the operations of the markets that we serve. And so it, it started in winch applications. So the power seat, then progressing into things like the riggers winches, which led into the lockhead winches. And now we've really kind of taken more of a holistic approach of trying to complete more of the kit, if you will. Um, of more of the common devices that are more present on everyone's harness that you don't need to invest thousands of dollars to get into the game with, um, but still trying to keep it at the, what we believe is the progression of our product design is about making the job easier and more efficient for the user. And that was the original intent with the with the power seat as a, you know, an alternative to manually climbing ropes and descending ropes um, to basically offset the energy cycle of of what it takes to be a rope access technician. And I think out of the gates, Harkin's approach was probably a little bit ahead of its time with if you can push this button, you go up. If you can pull this lever, you go down. Um, to where now we've looked at more of the standardized type of equipment kits and said, well, okay, the, there's been a lot of tradition involved here. And a lot of the manufacturers are have kind of a similar story to Harkin, just in different markets, you know, say, transitioning technologies from mountaineering and caving into industrial uses you know we took that as something to where we could say okay well this is this has been the way that the mountaineers have looked at it this has been the way the cavers have looked at it but i'm not a sailor by harkin standards by any means but um you know when i get on a sailboat the the level of uh, mechanical advantage being applied to these situations is far and above what we would ever use in industrial side or you know professional rope access side of things. So we started to like take a different track of just, okay, there's a lot of traditional methods out there. How can we introduce technology that doesn't bring someone completely out of their comfort zone of of the techniques they're using, but can improve the outcome 
of those techniques by using different equipment. And so that's, that's kind of where we are today. And um, the last few products, as you've seen, have been more in the line of traditional equipment sets, still with a focus on winches, but um, traditional equipment sets that just make the job easier overall. It's interesting the way you, you kind of describe that. Um, we have a penstock job. We did it last year. We're back on the parallel one this year. It's about 800 feet in between hatches. And when some of the older lads that you'll know showed up to do the rope access portion of it, they broke out the MAs and the traditional rope access systems, you know, kind of pitch head rigging outside, going through a change of direction. The kids, as I call them, are our younger staff that do our rescue standby, the kind of the level one rope access and rescue standby. They take the winch when they go out there because they look at it. And that's kind of that Gen Z of, well, this is silly. Why would I run MA for five hours when I could just use a winch? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting how that is. Like you say, it's kind of, you know, it's entrenched in the industry a little bit with some of these products. But as we get some of these younger folks into the industry, they don't seem to have that that's, you know, stuck on history or stuck on this is the way we've always done it mentality. They're really willing to look at other options. <laughs> yeah, which is good. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's how everything progresses. It's it's uh, I think there's a lot of of, you know, generational type of operators out there that have have been frustrated with some of the equipment limitations in the past and and some of it some of it may be involved with the regulatory concerns involved and you know new equipment is never fast to the market new techniques seem to be even i don't know i think a little bit slower to the market based on the regulatory concerns um of you know we'd like to use new equipment but we know the um, we know the jurisdiction in which we're working with and who holds the authority here from a regulatory standpoint is going to look at us with, you know, some serious concerns if we break out new equipment to do the job that, that they've seen done the same way over the past 20 years. Yeah. That's interesting little tangent there. You talk about regs. So we have, a company, Harkin, that was based in Italy, also has manufacturing in the United States. You have a European um, branch. I know we've run into them quite a bit over in Europe. You obviously sell North America. That there, I, what I just spoke is probably four different regulatory bodies. Has that been a difficult task to, you know, try to keep all of those regulatory bodies happy or do you even try? I think no more than any other manufacturer. It's it's the thing that every manufacturer has to deal with. The the certifications, the standards, they're they're always updated. Um, there's always going to be a recertification process where we're going through a new standard within the NFPA side of things that requires a, a new recertification of equipment. The the traditional CE and EN. Uh, type of certifications are, are yearly research. So it's just, you know, it's not unique to us necessarily, but 
I think bringing in some of the technologies from the marine environment into some of the more industrial, some of the more, um, you know, rope access rescue, I think it, it may take a little bit longer in terms of certifications and standards having room in the way the standard is written and the certification requirements to really allow new equipment. Um, so we've, we've had to do certain things to, to really build our own standards and create our own test methodology and, and bring it back to something that applies to some of those regulatory bodies. Um, you know, for instance, there was no, there's no capstan winch or hoist for synthetic fiber rope within the NFPA uh, regulatory construct. So having something like the lockhead winch, which, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's, there's some new users, some, some new viewpoints on it where you would say, why wouldn't I use a winch to do the hauling if I have a limited haul team or a limited haul field where resets aren't very practical and we're only hauling a couple of feet at a time, you know, why wouldn't I use a new technology to be able to haul unlimited length of rope through a device that, that, that basically provides the manpower for us. Um, but on the regulation side and, and the certification and standard side, that's, you know, that's new enough where it takes a few years to convince the regulatory bodies that we're not trying to disrupt the safety aspect, which is why the standards exists. Um, we just want to make it so that a smaller team can do more work. And so that, that's really been our approach so far is the, you know, the, the use of labor for a small team as, as you're well aware of is it's extraordinary. I mean, there, you know, four guys, like you said, with the penstock, if, if something goes wrong and they have to haul 800 feet, that's a, that's a serious operation. That's, that's a serious amount of manpower that gets input to that system that, you know, hopefully they have the stamina and the wherewithal to make it work. But if you could throw a piece of technology at it, that makes it something that you guys can take breaks and cycle through and, um, you know, just get some, just get some rest time in between the reps. You know, that's, that's a big deal. I think too, also from a, financial point of view where building mechanical advantage certainly eats up rope. And I mean, that's a extreme example at 800 feet, but you know, you need your 800 feet of rope to get out of the space. Now my change of directions to put me into a hall field to build a four to one, a five to one, three to one, whatever, you know, have a good throw in there. I could be running 1100, 1200 feet of rope all of a sudden, and just the logistics of getting that rope, buying that rope, getting it to site, there's a whole bunch of other parts that go with that where I think, like you say, with the newer technologies, you know, I don't want to sound smug, but you could use 801 feet of rope and get away with it with a winch, right? More or less. Yeah. Yeah, you could. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very simple way to look at it is it's uh, 
you know, the winches, I think the winches for Harkin have really been kind of a trademark item where there's not really, there's not, and don't get me wrong, there is competition in, in more of the automated type of mentality of advancing rope under load. Um, but capstan winches do an amazing thing and, and it's why they've been a part of the marine industry for, you know, going back centuries of having a main capstan in the, in the midships where it's, you know, it's, it's about being able to better manage your manpower. And, you know, there's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a technology so old, it's new again, and we almost have to reintroduce it, which is part of our challenge, but also part of the excitement of using winches in these in these new markets where you know it's it's a proven technology it's not anything that we came up with it's something that you can look back over history books and see large capstan and winches with you know eight handles sticking out of it and guys walking in a circle to haul in their mooring lines um because typical mechanical advantage of adding pulleys and and more rope to the situation was the limitation and it wasn't always possible so it's 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 kind of a i don't know it, it's got a lot of history behind it but it's it's also a, it, it has a very clean way to bring what was old history to a new space and new uses. And that that's where I think Harkin's been so exciting to be a part of this ride is, you know, it, it doesn't take much for somebody who's completely exhausted on the end of a, of a hall line to understand that like, there's gotta be an easier way to do this. That is true. So so Matt, uh, Sean mentions, you know, be part of this ride with Harkin. So Harkin's definitely done some acquisitions in these past 10 years as well. Um, could you speak to about that? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, you know, it's, I think it started out in terms of the industrial space and our acquisitions. Uh, one of our first ones was uh, the Elevated Safety Training Company uh, with Nate and Ross, uh, down near Chicago, Illinois. And, you know, Sean had worked for them, you know, for a while. So he knew that company really well. And those guys were growing that company and maybe needed, uh, some of the, some of the help and resources that a bigger company could provide to help them, you know, continue to grow. And we're really fortunate to have those guys still with us. And, Nate really running the show down there for elevated safety. And that company's grown a lot since we've, we've bought them and become, like you said, you know, your words are one of the preeminent us based uh, trainers. Um, so we're doing courses now, now out of uh, near Denver and in Northern Illinois as, as places that we have, and then re all the remote stuff that we're doing as well around the country. So that was really the start of our industrial uh, acquisitions. And then along the way, we've added a few more brands. Um, two years ago, around this time, we added uh, Cascade Rescue, uh, which is up in Sandpoint, Idaho, which is, uh, you know, most notably known for their, their toboggans and their litters. 
um, specifically on the ski patrol toboggans. But they, they have a number of other products that they they manufacture there in Idaho and they do it. They do a really good job. They got a really great team up there. Um, and we were we were really happy to, to have them join us. Dana Jordan, you know, had been the owner of Cascade Rescue uh, for a number of years. And uh, when he was ready to transition, uh, we were thankful enough that we got the right introduction. Um, I think it was maybe Tom or Sean that introduced us to together and we were able to put something together and uh, they joined us so that that's been going really well. And then, you know, most recently, just 18 days ago, we added on SMC, which is um, located just north of Seattle. And uh, Dana actually helped facilitate that introduction to Kathy Hughes. And Kathy's been running that business for a long time. And she's been a, you know, just a fantastic operator of that business. And she's a great lady. And uh, she was, she was getting ready to transition into retirement. Um, you know, we were kind of in the right spot at the right time. And Dana made the introduction and we were able to put something together pretty quickly. So, you know, now that we have these brands, we're putting together a pretty pretty good offering for the customer in terms of what we can offer and in terms of hardware, winches, uh, training, you know, and everything in between. I I think we got the right team to uh, specify and sell and go out and show people how to use it. So it's definitely our strategy to grow this way on top of, you know, our organic growth, which is making and developing products, but it's all centered really around, you know, manufacturing our own goods, uh, you know, designing our own stuff for the most part and bringing the, like Sean said, the most innovative products we can to market. So I think we got some good avenues to do that. And uh, we're really fortunate to, to meet these guys along the way and be able to get some deals done. Well, that's awesome. And uh, I don't know who will want this question. With Elevated, do they help you with any of your research and development on this by putting product through its paces at all? Or Oh, by far. By far. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, not to get too deep into the history side of things, but, you know, as as Harkin Industrial was growing, it was it was obvious that we needed a more we needed more complexities to our team. We need to be covered. We need to, the ability to cover other areas of, OK, well, if we're selling products into the market, we need to be able to like correctly train end users into how this equipment can can truly change their operational approach to projects and and potentially their methodology and as matt said and as you know i i've been working with elevated safety since since i started working with harkin industrial in fact you know a fun little a fun little caveat to this whole thing is uh you know, part of my interview process at Harkin Industrial over 10 years ago was, you know, we were going to go visit a group of firefighters who performed rope access in the Chicago area. And I, I quickly made the the jump to, oh, you mean elevated safety? Um, yeah, we're, we're well aware of those guys. And um, we've actually had a little bit of a a dialogue going already and so with elevated safety i mean there's a lot of what happens on the 
you know, from a corporate, from a corporate level, we say from, you know, an and a customer acquisition level where from a level one walking into a room or a potential level one walking in for their first training ever in these spaces, you know, we do have a pretty good voice in um, solidifying what, what it is they want to do with rope access and where they want to go with it and the potential that we can demonstrate of there's a lot of there's a lot of applications for this type of organization in in the organization of sprat or irata but um yeah elevated safety has been in the forefront of a lot of our end user feedback where and i think there's a lot You've hit mute, Sean. Sorry, you want to say that again? You hit mute yourself there. <laughs> oh, sorry my my phone was ringing as it usually does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry for that. But, um, but no, elevated safety's been in the forefront of our development research because they do. There's there's a good group at elevated safety. We have we have a roster of nearly 45 technicians now that come from all walks of life and some are somewhere in the search and rescue realm from like more of a backcountry or alpine type of discipline there's a lot of professional firefighters who have you know more of an nfpa affiliation to the the technical rope side of what they've been exposed to and then on on top of that, there's a service side of elevated safety that goes out and performs um, rope access services and, and, you know, connect all of the dots in between, whether it's uh, confined space, whether it's rescue standby, you know, a lot of the similar, a lot of the similar types of things that Ronan would do. But, you know, of course, it gives us a, a really good front row seat to what the market needs next. And so the elevated safety guys, um, you know, Nate, Ross, Jim, everyone in the field, you know, we're constantly collecting feedback from a professional level where sometimes as, as you know, well, you come into a project where the equipment can be the limitation of how well the person on the other end of it can perform their job. And so, you know, there, there's an open dialogue all the time of just being able to say, you know, we were on, we were on a cable stayed bridge and geez, wouldn't this go a lot faster if we could do it on ascent and descent. So let's, let's automate the hauling process with winches. Let's, let's make the, let's make the travel process easier with something like a, a roller sling type of product let's 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 figure out the things that haven't been exposed yet to what the troubles of the person in the field is and that's that's where elevated safety comes in i mean they're all they're all really experienced end users and they train on the equipment they train others on the equipment so they're also in the educational realm where you know they're constantly probing the 
training base coming in of, well, what problems do you have to solve? You know, why are you here? What, what is rope access the solution for? What is, you know, what confined space issues are you dealing with? And that, that drives a lot of the product development from the boots on the ground level where I think that's, you know, that an experiential realm of driving the results where you can make the outcome better is, is something that we take really seriously on the Harkin industrial and the Harkin Inc side of things of just um, how do we put the right engineers with the right products? How do we put the right production methods with the right products and really drive it forward for them? And, you know, the elevated safety is a really good filter on a manufacturing level of what's happening in the business, what's happening in the market, what's, you know, what's next and what mistakes should we not try to repeat and <clears throat> that's where the elevated safety role really comes in and guys like nate and ross are are hyperactive guys they they're they're everywhere um in the u.s markets anyway you know and and as as you've come across and in, in your dealings with the elevated safety team uh, you know they they put themselves where they need to be when they need to be there and collect as much feedback as we could possibly handle from a um, from a product development standpoint. So it's 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 high, it's very valuable to have the elevated safety voice involved with the product development side. Right on. No, and I think that's good. It's, um, you know, you get a lot of manufacturers that are kind of building in a box and it's nice to have that constant feedback of end users who are constantly out on equipment and breaking it and, you know, seeing where efficiencies can be had and just, you know, making sure you're not creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Which, you know, admittedly, we, we have been guilty of. It's, it's, I think it's every manufacturer's curse where, you know, you could easily think you have the next best idea, but if the users don't adapt to it and agree with you, then you kind of just have a development track that's that's not ever going to go anywhere. So it's, and I would credit, you know, you know, from a from a bigger team perspective, you know, the guys at Cascade Rescue have seen a lot. The guys at SMC have seen a lot. They've had. You know, it's not just elevated safety. There's there's been customer feedback for, you know, a collective half a century of these businesses being involved in the industry that um, everyone's very aware of. Everyone's very in tune with, and you know, it, it may not there may not be one singular driving force of input that says this is the next product we're going to make. Um, I think as we expand our footprint and and make the types of acquisitions and the types of growth to our business model that we want to make, there's a lot of volunteering of the input from the end users that we have may have never been exposed before 
or exposed to before that, you know, there's valid points all around us and guys like Tom, guys like Robert, Joe, Nate, Ross, Jim, you know, the, the collective team outside of elevated safety, you know, bring to us all kinds of issues that, you know, we couldn't have predicted. We couldn't have accounted for all on our own. So I think all of these companies coming together bring a shared experience of user input, which is which the user input is what drives what our next business decision is, really, in, in a broad scale of things. Okay. Um, kind of changing gears on it is I know... Sean, you've participated in Grimps. I know Elevated has been a huge supporter of Grimp competitions. I mean, I think we got two free clutches last year in Nemours. It was almost worth the price of admission right there. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it's uh, what, what's your thoughts on you know competitions, and is it something that Harkins looking to help out with in the future, or you know what's like some general overviews on that? You know, I, I think honestly, my opinion is 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 in the in the conversations that we have amongst the team, there's differing opinions and you know, there's different mindsets there where you gotta you gotta remember we have we have we're really fortunate in that our employee base does a lot outside of just you know the technical rope work type of industries and the industries that that covers. So, you know, within the staff level, we have a number of people that are involved in, in all types of endurance type of competitions and iron. We have, you know, a number of Ironman athletes, a number of, uh, a number of people that have done a guy like Martin Barnett, who has done, you know, uh, the highest peaks on, all seven continents. I mean, you know, where there, there is just such a competitive level beyond Grimp and beyond the, the, that type of competition from a more professional looking realm where everyone takes it really personally. And I, I, my personal opinion with, with Grimp, it's, it's been a, I mean, obviously, you know, going back 2018, I was entrenched with you guys and, and uh, competed on the Grimp Day team with Ronin for into more for Grimp Day on in 2018. And then 2019, Elevated Safety, we actually entered a team to compete. Um, but it, I, you know, I can't help but I can't help but think that like things are changing a bit, you know, for from what the original intention was to where it's going. And, you know, we're not competing in Grimp Day North America this year. Um, we will have some representatives there on behalf of Sprat and be on behalf of the training level of things. But um, I'd almost be interested in reversing the question in that has Grimp and Grimp Day 
really held true to what it was in the beginning. And the only reason I ask that is my understanding of Grimp Day before being involved with you guys and and thank you, by the way, for the opportunity to go to Namur and go to compete alongside the Ronin team. Um, it has been like most events where now there's a lot of manufacturing input. There's a lot of commercial input. And my understanding of Grimp and Grimp Day was, you know, it was really a, a matter of, of, trying to progress everybody's competencies by learning from one another. And it, you know, in its roots came from a competition that challenged people, which I totally agree with, um, you know, put on kind of by firefighters, rope technicians, but it was also completely arranged by firefighters, rope technicians, and, and other, you know, agency practitioners um, to where now it's, it's, it's become something that, I don't know, I, I, I'm totally undecided as, and I don't have any bias to this. I just, I, I just can't help but realize that it's, become a very strong commercialization of manufacturers input um, in the competitive realm. I think Tom Wood says it best when you say you would never have brain surgeons competing on a brain surgery. You would, you would do what's best for the situation without the input of what happens on the outside influence side of things. And so there, for me, there, there's a little bit of a angst and concern of, of where this is going. Is this, is, and from a corporate level is, is this the new method of a trade show? Is this something that is more commercialized than what we thought it was? Um, you know, so I, I, I have some opinions there and, but at the same time, like we have a team of, of very competitive natured guys that want to go and seek the challenges that something like Grimp Day and, and Grimp North America provide. And we certainly don't want to limit anyone from being exposed to that. I just, uh, my, my personal opinion is from is was to take a very i don't know a, a very observation level of where this is going before competing again in these events it's it is interesting you say that because it is a conversation that i think is occurring around the industry i know the word commercialization has come up within our organization in regards to some of these events. Um, when we started competing at Grimp Day, you got a chunk of wood if you came in first, second, or third. I think it's moved well beyond that. And then it, it's then, you, you're right. You start to, what are the motivations for attending? Is it to learn? You know, everybody, there's type A personalities. Everybody wants to compete. Everybody's competitive. But there was always a learning aspect to it. When the prizes become to a certain level though 
you're probably correct. You, you, you know, if we're saying the same thing here, I don't know is the learning starts to stop and because now there's actual something on the line. Well, and it, it does become a very big marketing platform, which everyone's aware of. It's, yeah. it's something that like, you know, obviously you can get your training organization at a, at a little bit of a benchmark than somebody else's if you have competed in Grimp. And I, I don't want to say that to be the the scrooge of the whole organization that says, you know, that's your marketing platform, but it has come up a few times. Um, and, you know, one of the learning aspects for me, I mean, I think a lot of rope operators are the same way where, I, you know, most people do a lot better in these industries by learning from seeing what mistakes are made, what successes have been brought out by new techniques. But, you know, part of my fundamental flaw to the entire GRIMP aspect, in my view only, I don't want to speak for anyone else involved with GRIMP because I do think it does progress the, the, comp, the, the competencies of a lot of teams out there. Um, but, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been involved with three, so two GRIMP days and one GRIMP North America. And because of the way that things are focused, because of the way things are scheduled, which is no fault of anybody on the organizational level, but like I've never had the opportunity in participating in these events and being able to stand by and watch another team go through the entire progression to, to learn from another team. We, we obviously talk about it afterwards. We, you know, we, I think that's the benefit of GRIMP is there's a lot of uh, community interaction from around the world that obviously betters all of us in, in getting to hear the stories, getting to hear what you did differently. But I think the learning component of what my understanding of GRIMP at its nature was meant to be has been somewhat segregated into you know whether or not you're able to see it and you know the facebook frenzy and the social media frenzy that follows these events it is kind of crazy because you can you can know that you were there but as someone who participated in the same event at a different time frame you know you had no idea what the other teams were doing to either learn from their successes or their failures and so i think the the learning aspect was what i hold true as the origins of grimp day and grimp north america but i think it has progressed into more of a status symbol type of thing that you know, I don't want to say negates the learning because all of us technicians do get together at some point in time, especially with the uh, accessibility of of social media platforms. But to be able to watch other teams go through the same struggles that you had and see how they may have come up with something more creative or a better solution to what you thought was the way. Um, I think that was the value of 
the idea behind Grimp Day and and you know, let's face it, it has changed. It's it's changed into there's a lot more sponsorships involved. There's a lot more um you know, there's there's just a lot more involved with what Grimp has become versus where it started. And that's that's a natural progression, but it's just one of those things that from a from a technician level, I, I look at and say, are you know, would ask the question like, are we actually able to learn from each other as much as we intended when we spent the money to be here? No, I think those are interesting and valid points. And I'm, you know, from our organization, it's certainly a conversation. We like people to go there for the experiential learning. And when you start getting very commercialized, you know, there's certain people within organizations that are like, we should send, you know, the top team possible in order to try to win. But you've then defeated the fact that there's people within the organization that want to attend these in order to learn, in order to get that experience. And yeah, it does create a bit of a, you know, a, a, a choice, I guess. Well, maybe that's just it. I think you, I think you nailed it with there are, you know, and I'm sure some of the listeners here will probably think that I'm, I'm being degrading towards the process, but it is a process. And there is, there is an idea of, I would much rather see units that work together professionally be a part of Grimp Day. It's become a cooperative event where it is about you know where you rank and how you finish and that type of things where there are there are now people involved with Grimp Day that don't actually do rope access or rescue as a profession, but they're sponsored by manufacturers and you know, they're really good in their, in their training realms. And I don't know, it's a, that, I think it's a fine line. Um, I'm not at all saying that Grimp, Grimp and Grimp Day is a, is a, is a bad progression in our industry, but it is one that is changing from its origins. And, um, and these teams are very much becoming like the old Olympic debate of if you're a professional, why are you competing in an amateur competition? If you're an amateur, why are you competing in a professional competition? And, you know, all, all those questions just, you know, maybe they just live with me and that's fine. Um, but it has changed in even in the last five years, I think the acceleration of the attention that these events get is good in a lot of ways in connecting a global community of rescuers and, and rope access and search and rescue guys. I mean, I think all the community side, you can't deny. Um, that's That's been an awesome awesome influence of the Grimp Day in Grimp North America. But when you see a team of five guys that have never actually professionally worked together competing because they're in the best in their in their 
respective realms, it takes on a different, it takes on a totally different feel for me. And I think that's, I guess that's the progression of popularity amongst any kind of event, which we just have to keep our eye on and, and play it right the next time. All right. Uh, we're running up, we're running up to about 45 minutes, but I've got three more questions. Uh, two for Matt and one for Sean and Matt, I'll, I'll hit you up with the first one. You step into this industry with, as you mentioned, you know, not a lot of knowledge in rescue or background in rescue. Obviously you understand what Grimp is and somebody's had to come and drop something on your desk here and say, Hey, we want to give away, you know, 60 clutches or we want to, you know, send a team in back in 2019 and things like this. And Sean said an interesting point, you know, is this the new trade show for rescue? I'm just curious from your point of view, which is probably a little more business based, your thoughts on that kind of event. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think Sean, you know, kind of hit it on the head about what the nature of the events is becoming uh, versus where it, where it started right or wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't obviously don't have an opinion on it. Um, I just want to help position the brand inside of these events in the most appropriate way. And if our best contribution to the event in North America or the event in Namur is sponsoring it to see that it's a healthy and continuing um, continue to happen year over year, you know, we, we want to be a part of that. Um, and, and allow kind of the, the nature of the event maybe to take its own course and, and not really influence that so much. Um, it is, it is something, it is a marketing expense for us. Definitely. Like you said, 60 clutches are, are not a cheap investment for, for anybody, uh, to do, but we thought, you know, not only did it, exposed the clutch to people who maybe hadn't seen it before or um or maybe it was just a little bit out of their price point for that device um that they were able to to get a feeling about what we're about and and why it why it is priced where it is and and all the features it has and if, if that's what it takes to get it in their hands we're we're happy to do that um but yeah i mean i i think we just take these events and take this type of thing uh, at face value and try to participate in a way that that supports not only the the industry and and the people organizing it but also the people participating in it and um, I think we found a good balance there with contribution the contributions that we make uh, from sponsorship to 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 free equipment no and I and I, like I said I appreciate it I know our team certainly did <laughs> so yeah no, I mean it yeah, we're happy to do that. And we always want to find that balance. You know, we, we want to be good, good partners and, uh, and a good manufacturer. And we also, you know, we have an obligation to get our name out there and market ourselves and show people what we're all about. And you did it there. So, um, Sean, you first, and then Matt, it's going to be the same question. Uh, where, where do you, where does Harkin go from here? Where, what does Harkin Industrial do next? Well, it's pretty with a with the context of a pretty broad question, Mark. Yeah, well, I didn't want I didn't want to hammer down and get really specific into it. Um, you know, just and I'm looking for the ten thousand foot answer. I, I mean, if you want to drop specifics and say, you know, something else, knock yourself out. But 
No, I think uh, I think from the Harkin Industrial world, we want to be as relatable and approachable as possible. I mean, you know, that it's something that Matt would be better suited to answer the question on. But I think something that Harkin as an as a, a global corporation, you know, if we have we've got global distribution and, and corporate offices across the world where which was really brought up by the sailing side of things but i think uh what we want in our industry is to uh, you know be a resource to anyone coming into the industry or someone who's been there 20 years and so i think what's next from harkin industrial is from a very simplistic view is keeping it real. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of companies that you can find a lot of necessary gear from, and a lot of companies that make some really great products. Um, and so from a, from a holistic approach, we, we're looking towards, the future of the industry as being one that's built on listening to customers and understanding the concerns by having some relatable experience and more crossover in the idea that what the fire service is doing now is incorporating some more rope access types of ideas in terms of technical rope work, um, what the search and rescue and alpine industry and patient handling industry is, is looking at is like, you know, they're all starting to come together more and more. So the future of park and industrial is really about, let's have a good broad, you know, we're wide and low in where we sit from a stability standpoint and being able to say like, you know, we're not just focused on rope access. We're not just focused on fire and rescue from, um, or, or Alpine or mountaineering or whatever it may be. I think our future is really about bringing in the right fits with the people and the companies that we've brought into our umbrella that, you know, all, all march the same beat of the drum where everyone has concerns and that comes from multiple industries. And we really just want a perspective that makes sense to the person who's on the sharp end of whatever the operation is of, you know, Hey, we, we didn't just make this to say you have to use it. We, we made this because we've been there too. And I think having the, having the end user perspective is a, is a really smart way that that Matt and his team diversify Harkin from the sailing end because it's it's very similar to what they've done on the marine industry where you got to listen to the people that are in it to be able to know where you're going to go next and so i think there's just you know there's there's more of that to come from harkin of we're 
we're not going to sit back and rest on our laurels of being a manufacturer that markets gear for the sake of profitability. We, we, we care. We try to come from a perspective of we're not going to make, make a piece of gear if it doesn't make sense. And we're going to have a very, you know, boots on the ground level of what informs our decisions going forward for Harkin Industrial. And that's the reason that you've seen the acquisitions you've seen and the experience of the different people who play very key roles within our organization. Um have the experience that they have and and why they're a part of the decision-making process going forward. So, you know, kind of, I guess that would be kind of broadly specific, but we are, we are very focused on bringing the products that we make being driven from an experiential value of there's a reason we do it. We're not making this up. This isn't a spreadsheet formula. This is this is being approachable and hearing what happens in the industry and eyewitnessing what happens in the industry from multiple different observation levels to say, you know, we've we've had enough cross experience to say, like, hey, that that particular piece of gear, that particular piece of hardware, or the way it the way it, it performs a specific function is something that like there are issues with. And we're just trying to approach it from that level of understanding what's happening and understanding how people work and just trying to provide a service on the equipment realm that could bring solutions. That's, I mean, that's, that's where the future of Harkin Industrial is, is boots on the ground experience informing what we do next. There you go. And, you know, for my open-ended question, I got a pretty good answer there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> Matt, same question. Yeah, I mean, you could tell, you know, Sean really comes at it from the user standpoint, which is exactly the way we we approach things uh from my perspective you know we we talked a lot and we were you know north american focused here on on your podcast but mark i know you got a lot of contacts and have been around the world and you know a lot of our focus in this next year is is taking these brands smc cascade rescue uh and expanding them internationally so we're working on our teams like sean said we have it you know we have eight wholly owned subsidiaries around the world we got a full team, just like the guys in the U.S. Um, around the world, you know, Max and Fetty and Paolo in, in Italy and Guy in U.K. and Alex and Pierre in France and the guys down under with with Nick and Scotty. Uh, you know, we're we're taking this stuff around the world and we touched a little bit about certifications and all those technicalities that go into doing that. But we're really focused on driving that forward um, to expand those brands, um, along with the stuff that we offer that's already you know, available globally through Harkin Industrial. So that that's one of our key focuses. Obviously, we're going to continue to innovate and make new products from the perspective that Sean just gave. Uh, we're going to launch new new products all the time. Um, we're always looking to expand the business in different ways. 
but uh, yeah, we, I mean, we got a couple of good things. We're, it's nice to see that, you know, we're going to be out and about again. The trade shows are, are happening. Um, you know, we got Nate here coming up and then we got uh, FDIC shortly thereafter. And, you know, Harkin Industrial, SMC, Cascade Rescue will be a part of all of that. So hopefully, you know, people listening can come out and see us. And then on the international side, I think inner shoots and things like that. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see some people in the field and, and we'll be able to, to talk in person. Yeah. Can you, um, you know, I know I'm making pretty generalized here, but uh, the international market is yeah. what, um, is there different changes? And I know I said only three more now I'm throwing a question at you, but um, no, no, we're, is there large changes you need to make to equipment in order to put it over to the international market? Or are you pretty much set to move those things across? I think we're pretty set to move most of the stuff across. You know, we just got to go through the process. Uh, there could be some changes. There could be some additional documentation that we need to do or provide some additional testing that we need to do. But I think from a from a technical standpoint, certainly anything that we design at, at Harkin Industrial that's new, that is designed to go across all markets, right? We have that in the initial product charters that we need to be able to serve all of the certifications that are required around the world. You know, like Sean mentioned, the CE, the EN, uh, the NFPA, whatever it is, um, you know, we, we set that very early on in the product charters. As far as existing stuff, like the, the stuff that's from SMC or Cascade, all, all of those things are, are well set up to meet what needs to be done to take it international. It's just about going through the process um, with the, the governing bodies there and the certification testing that needs to, and just getting on their dance card and making it happen. Uh, it's an investment that we make, but it, we think it has has good payback. So it's it's a process that we're undergoing now with all of those brands, and and we'll be coming internationally. I would think in pretty short order here. Yeah, and I mean, I, I know I said I was going to stop this, but um, I had the luxury of running into your European team in Paris, I believe it was, with uh, an attempt. Uh, I guess it was a successful attempt doing a uh, a tightrope walk with one of the athletes. I mean, that's what the guy was. It was pretty amazing to watch over there and your folks were doing a lot of the rigging for that over there. Were they not? Yeah. Yeah. Sean knows more about it technically, but Alex, you know, is a recent addition to our team from the Harkin France team. He's a part of the Harkin industrial team and he was really involved in the rigging for that, for that event. Um, and, and Harkin equipment as well. So. Yeah. It was just kind of luck that I happened to be in Paris and, uh, one of my good friends was on the rigging team for that. He's like, Hey, hang on. You, you know, the guys from Harkin, I'll just get you a pass. You can come on up. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Alex is a great addition to our team. We're, we're very happy to have him. Uh, he's been awesome so far. He's, he's covering friend, the France region and, and Belgium for us. Um, comes with a lot of experience, just like the guys in the U S too. So. Right on. Is there anything else you two gentlemen would like to add? Not for me, Mark. I think we've, we've, you know, we've, we've covered a lot. Um, obviously we're getting, we're getting close on time frames, but, um, you know, I think just look out for, for more Harkin industrial equipment hitting the market in the next year. We, you know, I would say if you have the accessibility to come to a show like FDIC or, or intershoots, you'll see, a lot more of what we've been working on behind the scenes and uh, you know we're we're engaged in our best ability to bring the best products we can to 
the folks that have said that they are looking for something better and that's our goal. So, um, you know, from a Harkin industrial level, we're really excited to see people again after the last year and a half. And we're really excited to engage in those conversations that matter in the direction of the industry as a whole. Matt, any last words? No, I think Sean hit it, hit it on the head. We got some exciting stuff coming out and you know, we're excited to show everybody what we've been doing uh, during this pandemic and uh, some good new products coming. So come check us out. We'll be there. Right on. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, gents. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark.